Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, the Utah Jazz are in Toronto tonight and Indiana tomorrow. And by that, I mean part of the Jazz are going to be in Toronto tonight and then they'll be back together again tomorrow in Indiana. Rudy Gobert into COVID protocol. Joe Engel's already in COVID protocol. Now a whole list of guys with a whole list of injuries. And basically it looks like the varsity team will stay in the United States of America and the JV will head to Canada. And I think that the risk here is what happens if you test positive for COVID in Canada? Can you get back into the country? So it doesn't look like there are going to be a whole lot of familiar names going to the Jazz game in Toronto tonight. And I guess we'll find out later today. Certainly we'll know tonight. You can listen to the game here on the Zone Sports Network, but I think the odds are pretty good. This is the most important part here. The odds are pretty good that Jazz 10-game road win streak is going to come to a close tonight against the Raptors because they're just not going to have their guys. So more of that coming up later this morning. Now, as we all know, the Jazz are owned by Ryan Smith, and now so is Ralph Salt Lake. Now, he's the minority owner. Uh, the commissioner, Don Garber, uh, made it clear that he would like uh, local ownership, and the local ownership combined with the Stadium and the facility in Harriman makes it pretty clear that uh, the academy in Harriman makes it pretty clear RSL isn't going anywhere. That's uh, any one of those reasons might keep a team. All three of them together, yeah, that'll keep a team locked down. Uh, Ryan is the minority owner. The majority owner is the Philadelphia 76ers and New, Je- New Jersey Devils part owner. And uh, also, uh, David Blitzer owns... Uh, a share in about a half dozen, owns portions of a half dozen European soccer teams. The biggest is Crystal Palace in the English Premier League, but he's also got a team in the Bundesliga, a team in Belgium, on down the line. So he's got quite a bit of experience in owning sports. He's 52 years old. He's from New Jersey, uh, but he says he's been coming to Utah since he was seven, 45 years of skiing, annual ski trips to Utah. So he is familiar with the area, and through NBA circles, he and Ryan uh, know each other. So, we're going to listen to a little bit of their press conference. It was a half hour long, but we'll listen to a little bit of it right now as RSL gets a new owner right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Now that you guys have taken the reins, what happens in the next few months? What are you looking to improve on immediately? What are your sort of uh, uh, goals for 2022 as, as the team heads into preseason? Well, it's interesting because, as you all know, preseason is is starting like really quickly. I mean, given you know the dynamics of the World Cup being in in uh, you know November this year, um, everything just moved up you know quite dramatically. Um, so, look again, this is a this is a long term play for for Ryan and myself. It's not a you know plan. So, I think you know we want we have a terrific group of individuals that we're working with, um, you know, at the franchise that we're continuing to spend more and more time with. We're, we're going to continue to learn. I always say, you know, I invest in, you know, a significant number of companies and a significant number of sports teams. Don't, don't try to figure it out in a day. Don't try to figure it out in a hundred days. Um, learn and, and don't just knee jerk react. And so, yeah, again, we're, we're doing things and, and working with the management team um, to gear up for this season, obviously on the pitch, which I guess opening game is, you know, February 27th, I think. And I certainly know our home opener is, is March the 5th and, and we're going to be ready, but exactly what we're going to do. I, I think it's, you know, kind of sort of premature. I mean, there's some things we certainly know, um, but, but we're going to, you know, we're going to learn and we're going to take our time and we're going to continue to, to grow and invest in this team in, in, in the right way. 
And, and kind of a follow-up there, uh, David, you had mentioned to the Salt Lake Tribune that it's more of a question of when, not if, the Utah Royals will be will be brought back. I'm just wondering, could you speak to what, what that discussion has looked like for you and Ryan and kind of how firm those plans are to bring back the Royals? Yeah, well, Ryan and I talked about it in, in our early conversations, just about you know, this community and Utah and the passionate fan base and how incredibly um, well the Royals did in, you know, in Utah when they were here. And we're huge believers um, in uh, women's soccer and in the NWSL. And again, obviously from the standpoint of, of this market and, and, and the fan base. So from our perspective, we both agreed very, very clearly um, on day one that we want to make that happen. Now, you know, without getting into too much detail, there are just like anything, you know, there are dynamics that need to occur um, and timing. But I think we we both said it last night, which was this is a when, not if we're very excited to bring the Royals back to Utah and to, um, you know, to this club. Alex Mower, your line should now be open. Hello, and thank you guys, obviously, all for your time. Uh, my question is probably more for Don, but maybe Ryan and David, you could shed some insight. Um, Don, I was just curious throughout this process, which, you know, was pretty lengthy. You maintained publicly that the team, or I guess that you would never consider moving the team outside of Salt Lake, but now that the deal's done, um, is there any, or was there ever any indication that maybe a deal wouldn't get done locally and that the team would have to be relocated? No, you know, we were committed from the very beginning that uh, this team, and all the assets around it would stay in Salt Lake. And, you know, a year's period of time is, is relatively short when you start thinking about what you need to do to ensure you have the right ownership group with the right dynamic together, both locally and, and in this case in particular, a great partnership. You know, this is a dream ownership group, and it took a while to put it together, not just because of who the two guys are, but think about the uniqueness of, there probably isn't another market in professional sports that only has two uh, pro teams. And now those two pro uh, teams are connected. Uh, so we, uh, uh, the day that we knew we were taking over the sales process, we spoke to Ryan. And as, as he said, uh, a couple weeks later, he bought an NBA team and took us 10 years to convince David to uh, find the right opportunity. And this was the perfect one. So uh, we had been very hopeful we'd get it done in a year and we were able to do that. Yeah, this question is probably for Ryan, but obviously, Ryan, as Commissioner Garber just mentioned, you bought the Utah Jazz. Now these two clubs will be connected. How much sharing will there be on the back end between these two clubs in terms of infrastructure, all that type of stuff? Yeah, I mean, we, we created a new entity, so I think the first and foremost, this is a, a separate entity entirely, um, and, and we're actually excited about that. Um, but, um, you know, the, the synergistic um, opportunities are are many, many, absolutely. And, and hopefully you'll see that. And, um, the, the most important thing here is that the vision is lined up and I'll, I'll just tell you, um, you know, David's vision and my vision for not only the state of Utah, but for soccer MLS and the platform are hundred percent aligned. And then we just kind of take everything else as, as it comes. And I think that's the most important thing is, um, that's when we both really started getting excited, whether that's with the Royals, whether it's with the investment, the team, um, once that vision is locked in, um, and, and I'll tell you, it's around Utah, it's around building. And, 
you know, we'll, we'll see. We have a lot of, we have a lot of soccer fans who, who, who play on our team. We have, we've always had a bunch of European players as well as um, American players who are passionate about it. And um, there, there's a lot of synergies, especially between arenas and fan base. And there's also opportunity to, to pick up new fan base on both sides. And that's, that's what, you know, anyone sitting out there can say, Hey, wow, this is a unique market with a unique team, a unique opportunity with two sports teams. Um, and they're both connected um, for one of the first times ever. That's, that's pretty powerful. And this, I guess a question for David, but David, at the outset, when you started looking into this club, did you always anticipate having an owner like Ryan who had a local connection here to help be an anchor? One, 100%. So again, you know, having, taken the, the the view that I was really excited to invest in the MLS. It was about the right market and the right partner. And I got hugely lucky here because the reality is, is, you know, real salt Lake again, came up looking for new ownership, call it, you know, about a year ago. Um, I had been very interested to, to invest in the league. I love this market. This market's incredible. Um, and, but no, if, if I hadn't found the right partner, uh, in Ryan Smith, I might still be looking, you know, for what, you know, makes sense. It had to all come together. I think that's on both sides. All right. There's RSL's new ownership team, David Blitzer, Ryan Smith, the jazz owner by a minority share in Real Salt Lake. We are going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk with the TV voice of Real Salt Lake, Craig Bullerjack, coming up next. Stay with us. Good morning, DJ and PK, 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Craig Bowlerjack joined us yesterday to talk about the Jazz, some of the big picture stuff. Um, he will, have, as always, reference uh, last night, and of course that means the win in Denver. Uh, and he didn't know at this point, he had an idea, but he didn't know how many guys weren't going to Toronto. He did have an idea, I'm pretty sure. Here's Bowler with PK and I on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. I thought it was a great game last night, you know, without Gobert, Hassan Whiteside, Joe Ingles, uh, team defense. Depth, Bogey, Rudy Gay played a played really. I thought um, a game that maybe Jazz fans wanted to see because Gobert is such a centerpiece of what the Jazz do, and there's always a lot of concern whether or not you know Utah plays a high level of defense. But I thought they manned up pretty well against uh, uh, the Nuggets last night. Look, Jokic is really amazing player. He really, really is. <laughs> Nearly had another triple double, but. Um, I thought the Jazz played man defense uh, really well, and they seem to be on page despite the fact that Eric Paschal flew in just hours before the game and they had to make some changes knowing that Whiteside wasn't going to play after he went through shoot-around. So, um, you know, salute Quinn and his staff for adjusting and uh, making it happen last night. Uh, just for the record, Jokic did go for the triple-double. He did get to the 11 yeah, assists. 26-21-11, yeah, a massive game. I'm curious... I'm curious with the Jazz. There were a few things that happened there. Uh, one, Bogey went off, 36 points, but only one three-pointer made. He was one of six. Yeah. Uh, he and Royce O'Neal, Bogey had 13 boards and Royce had 11. Clearly the message from the coaching staff, hey, Rudy's out. We've got to have guys hit the glass. Those two did. And then Clarkson, not just the 18 points, because we've seen him shoot it well. And he was four of seven from three. We've seen that before. But the 18 points, the seven rebounds, a steal, a couple of blocks. He seemed to be everywhere. And so I'm curious, which, which of these things do you find most expected? Which, which of the things did you find most surprising? 
I think probably Bogdanovich was able to take the game over, uh, despite the fact that Donovan Mitchell struggled. I mean, he was one of nine, right, from downtown. Still, you know, he delivers 17 points. Uh, but I still thought the game flow went to Bogdanovich's uh, advantage, and he wanted the ball, and the, and the Jazz knew he was really the centerpiece of the offense last night. And then on the opposite side, when they went really, you know, forced to go small, look, as Azubuki did, uh, you know, did a job, asked, he went in, made his first career start, and did what he could under the circumstances. But they still had to play a lot of, you know, small ball with Rudy, with Rudy Gay, you know, handling some of the the four and the five spots. But, you know, he seems so calm and confident out there. I um, I still think he's going to be and is becoming a major part of what the Jazz will do as the season progresses. But he looks comfortable. It takes time to understand the Quinn Snyder system on the off- offensive side. But, look, he gets seven rebounds from a 16-year vet, 18 points, and, and a very uh, – proficient night six of nine shooting but six of those shots were four makes from three uh he looked comfortable i thought he looked dominant uh out there and he looked uh you know like he's going to be a big piece of what the jazz need to do the trade deadline is just over a month away i believe they will make a move i think joe ingles is most likely i'll be sad but the, i i i don't know that it's going to happen this is just a kind of a gut guess i'm hoping it doesn't but nevertheless i think it might um what do you think well you know danny ainge who's come in you, it's hard to say uh ceo of jazz basketball and ryan hired him obviously for a reason to fine-tune if needed you know pieces of the jazz uh and also to save luxury tax money pk it's a it's a great point you know I know, you know, talking to DJ a little bit privately, you know, and the conversations you guys have had with Joe, you know, there's, you know, he's been open about it, which, yep. which is really amazing for a player to be at that point in his career where maybe he sees the, you know, the writing on the wall. He knows more than we do on the, you know, the inside of it all. But, you know, Joe, Joe's a fan favorite. It's going to, it will always be difficult to see players come and go. It is. Some are more difficult than others. Joe still has an incredible, impact on this team in the locker room uh the grit and grime of who he is and the way he likes to play it with that tough guy attitude on the floor but again you know i think it comes down to you know can can you actually they have to be careful in my opinion because it's such a good chemistry uh who do you actually trade for and how how much does it impact this team make it better and does the chemistry stay the same those are always dangerous moves for anyone, um, no matter what sport it may be. But, gosh, I'd say it will be tough. Uh, there's only a handful of guys who come in and just make that impact with fans. And even the media, PK, you just said it. I mean, you know, you're kind of a hard-nosed guy, right? But yet oh, yeah. you guys know him well. He's spent how many years now doing the show with you guys and being open about his life and his kids and Renee and, you know, those are difficult things to see a, a player come and go. Um, but, you know, it, again, those are outside our, our pay grade. And, um, you know, it is it is a win-now mentality, of course, with Donovan and Rudy about a championship and what you have to do uh, to get past the likes of Golden State and the Phoenix Suns. And, um, you know, we'll hold our breath and see what happens, find out together. But, yeah, it's the, the, the clock is ticking on that decision. 
Greg Bolajak, TV voice of the Utah Jazz, joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Um, I am curious, do you have any idea how long Whiteside is out for? It's been a concussion. We saw it happen. It wasn't great when it happened. It's been a while now. Is this more serious than we knew? Is he going to be out a while longer? You know, Quinn said last night um, that he actually went through shoot-around. And then all of a sudden, uh, and that's the real test, when you start to get the heartbeat uh, going and you break a sweat, how do you feel? I think some of those concussion symptoms crept back in, and that's the reason why he he did not play. Uh, Meaning that I think, obviously, he's made some progress, but not all the way back. It'll be interesting, right, on a back-to-back weekend, and the travel to Toronto and then back into the States to play Indiana, whether or not he can make a quick recovery or not. But you may see the Jazz in the same situation as you were last night with Azabuki, who miraculously comes back from this ankle injury that looked almost you know season-ending, honestly, uh, after you looked at some of the, the video replays of it. But you know, to his credit, he's worked hard to come back. But I think what you saw last night may be – uh, something the Jazz have to to deal with throughout this road trip, but you know, hoping that Hassan makes recovery and comes back. But they're going to be ultra, you know, like the Jazz and and any team in concussion protocol. You, you got to make sure he's good and and healthy and ready to go. As I look at this team, I'm more focused on them than the opponent each night because I think if they play well, you know, they got an excellent shot to win. And if they don't, you know, probably they don't. And we saw that with. The Warriors against the Mavericks. The Warriors right. didn't make shots. They lost. You know, it's going to happen. But the thing that got me most excited about Denver is that they needed guys to step up, whether it be rebounding or scoring, and those are, you know, two obviously significant areas, and they did. And Go or, uh, Gay was able to step up his game a little bit. So we were talking earlier this morning about how you view the Jazz in the immediacy, who they're playing, how they're playing, do they win. But then you also, so you got one eye on that, but... You also have an eye on the postseason. You know, what's going to happen when we get there? We know it's coming. We're excited for it for when it gets here. And we know ultimately that's how the team is going to be judged. And right. so when I watch this game, the thing that got me most excited is that they have guys capable of stepping up. They have more guys capable of stepping up than they had last year. So that gives me a higher level of excitement for the postseason. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm totally on board with that, that PK. Um, you know, they went out and made big decisions on, on Rudy, Rudy Gay, and then Hassan Whiteside, I would say. And he's even admitted that he had, you know, a, a non-typical Hassan Whiteside year in Sacramento. Uh, this is kind of, you know, don't overplay it, but as he's, you know, it's a rebirth. I mean, I think he's found, again, the right system and a mentor. Um, that He likes the competition, I should say, uh, working against uh, Rudy. Uh, and they've become really a, a, one of the strongest, if not the best, too big tandem in the NBA. But to your point, I like the depth. I thought last night proved a lot of doubters wrong. I know that Jamal Murray wasn't on the floor, and they've had their issues as well. But look, this league is not going to change much, right, over the next month. Uh, you may get a healthy uh, – you may get health, full team strength sometime after the All-Star break. And then you start to really play. But who really is going to be involved in postseason play? And who's resting players? Zion down in New Orleans, I think, probably white risk it again uh, with the foot. So, I mean, you're going to run into teams that won't be at full strength. But those that are fighting for playoff position or if they're really interested in the three, the four, the five, the six seed, whatever it may be, 
you may you know, may come up against full strength teams, but I think the Jazz proved a lot to themselves, PK, last night. Something they may have needed in a big way that with Rudy off the floor and Hassan, the continued experimentation of small ball and the fact that they are getting better at it, understanding what has to be done uh, on the defensive end and taking into account themselves to play D and not just think that Rudy's there. And even Quinn said it. You know, he's not there to clean up your mistakes or to protect you. You know, he's there to channel in and let, you know, and, and, and help. But you still have responsibility as a player to play defense. And I thought last night may have been a turning point with that with that that comment that Quinn made, and I think it's spot on. Ten straight road wins for the Jazz, and they've got three more on this road trip. Uh, it seems ridiculous to say five and zero, but Denver was the only team with a winning record when the trip right. started. So, right. should Jazz fans be thinking five and zero? Well, Toronto, you know, that's kind of one of those un- unpredictables, but uh, they've they've been winning of late, and Indiana has. Uh, you know, is is a team that you you know you just can't predict. It's a back to back too, right? And yeah. you don't know how fatigued this team is going to be, or after one player is, has entered into health and safety protocol, is there others to follow? That to me is going to well, be the biggest. It's issue a rare back to back in two countries. How many times yeah. you have that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, two countries. PK, <laughs> you know, get across the border and can you get back in? I mean that. That's that's probably a concern that no one has to go to health and safety protocol during that trip, right? To go across and come back in, uh, and then of course you always think Detroit's the record-wise the worst team in the NBA. But that's the final game of a five-game week-long road trip, and it's on. You know that, those are so unpredictable because you want to get home. But this month is a test. March is a big test with the with multiple road games and long road trips, mind you, and. Uh, but I think the way the Jazz are playing, and if they try to take it, I know it's it's that old adage of one one game at a time. But I think this time of year, with what's going on with COVID and injuries, I think you do have to just say, "Hey, who's available? <laughs> Raise your hand," and then just map out your game plan and go play. And I think that's what Quinn and, and the staff did a, a very good job of last night. Well, they need to win against Toronto because I've been saying for weeks now since literally the beginning of the season that they will have a stretch in which they go 17-3. and And I'm freaking one game away from it. So they got to make me look good. You know what, PK? You said it. Shall it be done? <laughs> it's got to be. Yes. And then I can brag about it the rest of the season. Yeah, you said, look, man, I told you so. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> yeah, hey, fourteen and three on the road. I mean, those are Stockton Malone type of of uh, numbers being built right now. Those are the mid nineties type of performances that we're seeing in the league. <clears throat> Pretty impressive. Uh, it really is. Don't, don't people can't underplay that because you know everyone knows, and you guys have traveled. I've traveled, and and the road. You know, it sounds like oh wow, you guys are you know. In L.A., uh, you got to keep the focus, and you have to put things out of your mind. And I, I think this team just is is uber focused away from maybe home responsibilities and some of the pressure too. That with Jazz Nation, it's about a championship. It's it's about you know making that next step and the win now mentality. But I think there's a sense of more. I think Donovan said it that they understand themselves, and there's a bond that continues to grow on the road. Sounds a little you know, 
sophomoric, you know, when it comes to making statements like that. But in reality, that's who they are. And hey, if you're galvanized on the road, so be it. And what they go, you know, hey, look, what they've gone through the last two and a half years, you know, is worthy of a movie and a book for the entire NBA. But the Jazz seem to have embraced the fact that they're in this together, and they do have a goal. And I'm sure all teams do, but there's just something different about the Utah Jazz and what they want to accomplish before this team would be, TK, as you mentioned, changed, changed up, or do they stay with what they have and add a piece uh, if you move younger players or draft picks to achieve you know, the body or the, the player that you need to, to make it happen. But they, they do have a common goal, and it's, um, I do respect that because it's real. Where does he get the ring first, Ryan Smith, RSL or the Jazz? <laughs> you know, RSL fans would say that's their, their turn. I think the Jazz, look, this this city, won't you agree, man? I'd say we'll drive. I know you'll be driving a truck, PK. DJ, you'll do, you guys will do the show somewhere on the road. We'll take it from here to, to Heber to St. George and back. Oh, you sound like that guy, that, that guy in the guitar. I'm on the mountain in Snow Canyon, you know. Big old tires, yeah. Cash? I've been everywhere, man. <laughs> yeah, sing that one too. You've been all over the map. You had that a little earlier. You got a little uh, Ten Commandments. Uh, <laughs> yeah, PK with the right. seventeen and three, and you let let it be said, let it be written, let it be so. Let it be done. Yes. Well, PK has that thing about it. You know, there's a little glow yeah. around PK. Well, we got to have some kind of religion if you're going to live here. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> All right, Bowler, we appreciate a few minutes. Sorry, I didn't know you were on TV and I was locked down on the national broadcast. I said, seriously, I got bored with them. Look, man, DJ, promise me, look at the schedule, and right by ESPN is AT&T Sports. I don't know why I got fooled, because I know that the ESPN deal is different than the TNT deal. Yeah, yeah. But I got fooled anyway. Somebody said, oh, it's on ESPN. Uh, Okay, well, Bowler's got the number. Common, like, oh, really, you guys are on last night? Yeah. The only games that, uh, that again, the league or the, the contract stipulates is uh, exclusivity with TNT and ABC. And uh, luckily, though, during the playoffs, we can do side-by-sides in the first round. Luckily, yep. that gives the local affiliates a chance. So I'm looking forward to the postseason, too. But we got a long way to go. Thanks, Bowler. We appreciate it. All right, guys. See you soon. All right, there's Craig Bowler, Jack, TV voice of the Jazz and the Jazz in Toronto. Tonight. Well, at least some of the Jazz will be, but it looks like most of the starting lineup will not be in the game. We'll see how that shakes out later today, but that looks like where this is headed. All right, uh, when we come back, time to talk a little golf. The PGA Tour is heating up. It's the Western Swing. Starts in Maui, goes to Oahu, comes to California. Uh, does have a move. They do make a move to Phoenix. They'll have that uh, Super Bowl weekend. Uh, we will talk golf with Brian Taylor. Real Golf Radio next. Stay with us. DJ PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time to bring in Brian Taylor, Real Golf Radio. Golf is back in the news. Sweet. The weather is good somewhere. Maui, as it turns out. Brian, good morning. J.J. Barea is the Britain Covey of the NBA. That is the line of the day right there. <laughs> you like that. I, I almost drove off the road. I was laughing so hard. That was great. Well done, sir. Thank you. Am I a complete and total uh, homer living on the west side of the country? Salt Lake is as far east as I've ever lived. Uh, everywhere else I lived was in California. 
Am I a total homer for thinking that from now through the LA Open is the best stretch of the PGA Tour? That's just me no, being a homer, isn't it? I, no, I, I love it. I love it. And I don't, I don't think the West Coast gets the respect that it deserves, to be honest. You know, back in the, back in the day, you know, with the Ernie Elses and, and uh, you know, the, a lot of the international big stars, they wouldn't come play over here on the West Coast because it was so far to come, right? And um, from South Africa or otherwise. And, and so they would just show up in Florida. So a lot of times you wouldn't see uh, some, some of these top players. And, but, you know, the, the West Coast has got some great events. To me, the PGA Tour, I love the nostalgia and the tie-ins of, of, of uh, players and, and, and bygones, right? So you think about the West Coast, and they all had names, right? You had the Andy Williams and, of course, the Bob Hope and the Bing Crosby. Yeah. I mean, I love that stuff, right? To me, that's... That's what that's what was there. Was, there was a cachet to that. There was something you could identify with, and uh, you know the the West Coast is cool. I, I think I'm with you, DJ. I, I love the West Coast swing. Yeah, I've been to every one of those. I haven't played every one of them. I've been to every one of them. I've played a few. In fact, I've I'm proud to say I broke a hundred on the plantation course at Kapalua. Not a boy. <laughs> well, look. At least you can say you played it. I have not played the plantation course, so you got that going for you. Yeah, yeah, I've been over there a few times uh, on my own and with work, and so I'm very much looking forward to this tournament. I, I tell DJ that every year I make sure I watch as much as possible these next two months just to torture myself thinking, it's snowing outside, I could be there. It's snowing outside, I could be there. Uh, and one of these days I'm going to be there, and I'm, I'm definitely going to go to this tournament. I have a friend of mine, and... Uh, he was there a few years ago, and he told me it was just absolutely awesome. And he was standing there um, outside the ropes, and there's not that many people there. And he was following Rory, and Rory sees him. And as his warrior's walking past him, Rory extends his arm and gives him bones. And uh, nice. So yes, he gave him bones back, and then and then my friend he's texting me, and I'm sitting at home here, and he's there. He lives here, too. And he's texting me, and he's saying he, he wants to go see where Dustin Johnson is next. And he's telling me about what just happened. And so I'm directing him where to go because I'm watching it in my house, uh, telling him, okay, he's on the 13th hole. You need to go, go this way, go that way, because I can watch it. Technology today is awesome. So I'm definitely going to be watching this one this afternoon and through the rest of the week. And, and as I go big picture... There's three things. You know, we do this draft with Casper, and I'm going to demand going forward that I get Rom every time. He's my – I'm going to pick him every time because I think, I think he's set up. And I also think this year, I think we're going to see a breakout of two players. One player is already on the verge of breaking out, and that's Morikawa. And then I'm going to go with Victor Hovland as my other guy. And when we get to this time next year, I think we're going to look back and we'll see those guys really emerge. There's a lot to unpack from what you said there. Um, you, you know, first of all, Maui's a from what I hear. I'm like I said, I haven't been over to that tournament, but uh, it's it's obviously a short field, and not a lot of people travel all the way over there to to watch golf. And so you get an opportunity to get up close with the guys, and so it's a great story with Rory. Um, I love to soak it in. It feels like the kickoff of the season, even though the season technically started back in October. Feels like the official kickoff. You sit here in the cold in the snow and you look at the beautiful views there at, at Kapalua and then you come back to you know the desert and, and up the west coast so in you know Phoenix of course and, and that whole party but uh, as far as breakout guys I mean Morikawa's I mean that that's an easy one right I mean the guy's 
played two full years on tour and he's got two majors. He's he's the he's the next gen ball striker on the PGA tour. He's that guy. He's a Johnny Miller type of of ball striker. His iron game is just you know he's tiger like in his iron game. Um, so he's and he's shown that you know when he gets out there in the lead, he's he's tough to catch and, and doesn't make a lot of mistakes. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's number two in the world, uh, had an opportunity to go to number one at the Hero Tigers event back in December, but, you know, he, he's going to have some other chances. He'll have some chances this week if he were to go on a win. He'd be number one in the world. So, yeah, I think Morikawa continues that rise. He doesn't seem like, uh, you know, he's so solid in all the fundamentals. You just don't see him having a, a slip. Um, Victor Hovland is, is, has had high expectations since he came out of college. He, as an amateur playing at the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach, he you know, had had a good week that week, a lot of attention and, and a lot of expectations. And, you know, he comes out with that class with Morikawa and Matthew Wolf, And, you know, th- th- that that group is, it's stacked. It, it kind of reminds you of the Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, you know, group that, that came out before them. And so, yeah, I, I want one of my stories, you know, we're, that, that we're going to talk about on the show is this, this continuing rise of this next generation. And I'd throw the Will Zalatoris and Sam Burns in there as well. You know, there's just some great young players that are going to continue to, to grow and emerge that grew up watching, you know, guys like Tiger go out and do what they do. And the guys aren't afraid to win. They get right out there on tour. They're not afraid to win. It's not like the PGA Tour of old where you had to cut your teeth and, and then you won majors in your 30s. It's just, these guys come right out and, and win and, and, and get after it. So what about the guys and the generation that now is moving into their 30s, even if they aren't all there, the guys who came out and cut their teeth and won two, three, or four majors, and they can add to the list, they can uh, make their name in the game, or they've had some injuries, they made a lot of money, maybe they got married and their priorities shifted, but are they set up for big years? You can start, yeah, I think you can start with Rory or Jordan or wherever you want. Yeah, I think Battle of the Stars is, you know, and I think uh, you, you, we've got a lot of them. Rom, Morikawa, JT, Spieth, McElroy, DJ, Xander, Patrick Cantlay, who's coming off a four-win season and the FedEx Cup champ, Bryson and Brooks, you know, Tony Finau picking up his second win. So um, all those players that were on the U.S. Ryder Cup team, the momentum they're going to take and the confidence out of that, I think, is going to be massive this year. So I think you're going to see all those guys battle, you know, along with the, the younger guys that we just mentioned with the Hovlins and Zalatoris, Wolves and Burns and that. So uh, I, I, I think, you know, starting with Rom, uh, look, I'm with, I'm with PK. I think you should pick him every time a major comes around. He, he just came off his first win there at Torrey Pines. He's He's massive. I was watching a Callaway product launch uh, feature, and, and he and, and Xander were on the tee box together. And, I mean, Xander's not as big as, as, as uh, you know, the trunk of, of John Rahm. I mean, the guy has just got so much power, and uh, he's, he seems to be maturing. You know, he's a, he's a dad now. It seems to settle him down. He seems a little more grounded and, you know, trying to control that temper that cost him, I think, a lot of tournaments early in his career. But he's got so much talent. So, yeah, John Rahm's number one in the world. Does he, does he hold on to it? Does he, is he a dominant number one? I think that's going to be an interesting storyline this year because, again, as you mentioned, Morikawa can take that over. And I think you'll see more of a carousel of that number one, not because – of uh, a negative commentary on not having a dominant player, but I think you've got such great players in the aggregate. You're going to see, you know, uh, more parity. Uh, with I think Justin Thomas is going to have a big year. He got the Players Championship win, shooting 64-68 on the weekend. He had seven top tens. 
Jordan Spieth seems to have found his stride, got back in the winner's circle. You know, he's a new dad. You know, he seems the swing is coming back. He's making those putts again, you know, that he was, was really famous for back in 2015-16. Rory McIlroy is, you know, I mean, that, that guy, he's coming up on Augusta. It'll be now the eighth time, I believe, that he's had an opportunity to complete the career grand slam by winning the green jacket. And that's going to be a big storyline going into Augusta. DJ, you know, is he? I mean, look, the guy was the leading points. What did he go five and zero at the Ryder Cup, and and yet kind of had a down year for for a guy like like Dustin Johnson, who was most recently world number one. Um, so th- those are those are some of the storylines, and then I expect a lot out of uh, out of Tony Finau. You know, um, again, what what will happen after his back-to-back missed cuts in the summertime at the U.S. Open and Travelers. He averaged 68.5 over his last six events, including that win at the Northern Trust. His putter's uh, looking better. So a um, lo- lot of good storylines. And, of course, everyone wants to know when Tiger will come back. That, that'll, that'll certainly dominate. I think parody is a dangerous word, though. It sounds good. And if, if you're into it, if you're hardcore, parody is great because you're there you're there all the time but for the business aspect of it i wonder how good parody is because i don't know that we'll ever have a time and it's impossible to say that but i'll say it anyway that we'll have a time of interest in golf that tiger woods brought i don't know that we'll ever be able to recreate that and there wasn't parody but yet it was like a golden error because he drew so many people in. So from the business side of it, and golf is basically a niche sport. I love it, and it's not a niche sport to me, but I get its place on the sports spectrum. Do they really want parity from a business standpoint, or do you want the one dominant, or maybe you have a second guy, so you have like a magic and a bird type of thing in the, in the NBA's glory days? You see where I'm going with that? Yeah, no, exactly. And, and uh, is it too early to throw Charlie Woods' name out there? Just asking. Um, oh, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, I meant to say that. <laughs> yeah, well, there, Woods is going to break uh, Nicholas's record. It's just going to be Charlie. I mean, come on. My goodness, that swing is a thing of beauty. You know, uh, look, to your point, there's nobody watched. There wasn't as many eyeballs on a PGA Tour event as there was with Tiger and Charlie, you know, on a hit and giggle. I mean, it's just he, Tiger does that, right? I mean, he... there's not going to be another Tiger. And and, and it's interesting that you said you don't know there'll be another era of excitement like Tiger brought. And I think it's because Tiger completely turned the sport on its ear. I mean, do you remember the first interview we did with Curtis Strange? He goes, what's your expectations? And he says, my expectations is to win. And Curtis laughed at him on camera. And he (laughs) says, you'll learn. Well, we learned, right? We all learned that Tiger was different. He turned a sport. He took a, you know, he took the Craig Stadler uh, and again, it's not a knock on on the walrus, but that was sort of the look of the PGA Tour. And he took it to this, you know, young, uh, flexible, strong, athletic uh, approach and just dominated. So we, we were all sort of like, what is this? And Bryson's done that a little bit, but it's so but he hasn't he hasn't dominated the sport like Tiger he hasn't taken over the sport. So I only put that as context because I think it's an interesting point, PK. Let's say the next Tiger, quote-unquote, comes along and he starts doing Tiger-like things. Are we going to be as interested or are we going to be like, yeah, we've seen this? It's not going to, it's not going to turn us on a ear like what Tiger did to PJ Tours. So um, I, I, that, that's my first comment. Second comment, I, I, I think that Tiger is still in the game enough, Phil popping in, his popularity, and then this young group. I think there's enough stars that maybe they could make that up a little bit with the parody, a little bit, because the PGA Tour is in a good spot. 
On the women's side, we've got Nellie Corda yeah. in the U.S., number one player in the world. Okay, She is outstanding. She's got a terrific swing, and she's the first American, can you believe this, to hold the number one spot over from one season to the next. I mean, you got to go back to Nancy Lopez days before we saw anything like this. And so I think for women's, where the women's game is, having a dominant American player like Nelly, who's very popular, I think having someone like that that people can say, hey, is Nelly playing? I want to tune in and watch that. Like what we thought Michelle Wee would do, like we thought what Lexi Thompson would do. I think that's important where, they, where the LPGA is right now. That star power is important. The PGA Tour, it's always important, but I think there's enough of a group of them, and it's it, that, that I think does that make some sense? Like I think that the group can hold their own just a little bit. Well, you talk about Nelly Corda, it's like Ginger or Marianne. Are you a Nelly or a Jessica? <laughs> well, well, I'm not going to take it to that. But <laughs> that's her sister. I understand that's her sister. Uh, but I, I mean, N- Nelly looks like if I was betting on the two, I would probably bet with Nelly. She seems to be. You know, she is the number one for a reason right now. And so, when you yeah. said the Walters, you know what I thought of? Craig. Cuckoo Kachu. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And he's the Britain Covey of JJ <laughs> Verer, man. That was a dead on comparison. <laughs> so, so I think that anyway, your, I think your theory about the the group of guys can do it a little bit. You're basically saying they can't be Tiger. You're right; they can be interesting, and you're right; they can hold more than just the hardcore. And you will see it because there'll be tournaments where those guys don't largely don't play, and there won't be as many people at those tournaments. There won't be as many people watching those tournaments on TV. And then when you get back to what Bob calls the A and B plus events where most or all of them play, there will be more eyeballs on it. But it still won't bring what Tiger brought. And for what Tiger brought, you probably have to go back to when you had uh, Nicholas challenging Palmer. You know, you probably got to go back. It it was probably a 35-year gap. And that's probably what we're waiting for again. But hockey's waiting for the next Gretzky. And the NBA wants to make LeBron the next Jordan, and it's awesome, but he's still not Jordan. Mm. I mean, mm. he's just, he's not. It's and fair. he's awesome. And he's dominating his era. And he's top five all time. But Jordan had the uh, a charisma thing that was just, I mean, it was a supernova. It was unbelievable. And Tiger had a charisma thing that nobody else has. And these other guys are awesome, and they have great stories. They don't have a Tiger hat. You know, and, and I think it's unfair to, to suggest that anybody could, right? I mean, I think that's how special Tiger is. I mean, you, you go through and you go, hey, look what, look what these guys are doing. And then you realize Tiger did it like 10x, right? I mean, when you compare Tiger stats, when, whenever we do comparisons and Tiger's name comes up, it's noteworthy and we, we'll talk about it. But then you put it into context for the length, the duration that Tiger held that highest level of play. That's, to me, what speaks. And Bob used to say this about Tiger back when we first started the show 23 years ago. Well, we'll see the longevity. And I'm like, look, Bob, the guy's like, you can't find a more athletic player. He's going to be healthy for forever. Well, it turns out he wasn't. But, you know, still, for him to maintain that level of play for a whole decade, you, just, you don't see it. And Phil Mickelson's a little bit that way, too. You know, he didn't have the dominating game because of Tiger, obviously. But still, to pick up 45, 46 wins, over the span and really not have any major injuries, it's 
you know, Phil's what Phil did at the PGA last year was super exciting for golf. And I think, you know, that, that that's kind of a cool part of the game is you never know when that can happen. And we never know when, if that might come back and Tiger might do that at some point in time. So people will tune in to see that too. And I, I, I guarantee at some point this, this year, Tiger's going to tee it up um, based on what I saw last month, which shocked me. Uh, I think we'll see, I think we'll see Tiger tee it up sometime this year, maybe St. Andrews which is relatively flat walk and it's the 150th open championship. And obviously he's won a couple of opens there already. So uh, that, that might be someplace we see, we see Tiger was, but when he does, yeah, it'll be, it'll be crazy. Um, what people will tune in to see. So get this. We know that 16 of Phoenix is very famous, right? And the Saturday before the tournament, I'm going to be at hole 16, not to play golf, they're going to have a concert there, and I'm going to see two of my favorite artists, Thomas Rhett and Old Dominion, and they're going to play. They're going to set up a stage at 16, and they're going to have a concert there. And I'm really? su- yeah. So uh, yeah, and the tickets went on sale, oh, like November, October, probably 10 minutes gone, and they're selling 20,000. So they they'll have the stadium seats there as they normally, they take them down and then they put them back up. Right. And so obviously they would be up by then because I played the course before in the summer and, and it, it's weird because it looks nothing like it because they've already taken everything down. <clears throat> and then they'll have it back up. So I'll be there on the Saturday before as they call it the bird's nest and they have entertainment that goes along with the with the open, uh, with the waste management. Every night they have um, various groups and these, these, these artists are obviously country. And they're going to start at the Saturday before. And uh, my wife and I and some friends from Arizona are going to go over there. So we're going to be there for a concert. And the, 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 it's going to be in the in the 16th hole. The bird's nest is right outside this day at the uh, Yeah, course. for the Thunderbirds, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. That's, you know what? That's, I hadn't heard of that. That's awesome. I'd love to see Old Dominion. I've seen Thomas Rhett. Um, but uh, I, I think that's great. Let's that, see Phoenix. Phoenix is unique, right? Phoenix does PGA Tour golf different than everywhere else. And, and I love what they're doing. They're expanding that. They're bringing people to the golf course to watch a concert. I think that's outstanding. That's great stuff, great innovation. Um, more, pe- more chances to get people on the golf course, the better as far as the Grow the Game initiative. So I think that's totally cool. Get the party started Saturday before. Um, that's, that's tremendous. And to bring it full circle, maybe that's why I like the Western Swing so much, because there's so many distinctive courses and distinctive tournaments, and you get in the middle of the year, and they all kind of run together in my mind. A little bit. I, I think there's more character uh, to the West Coast. Uh, you know, I, I think the Florida courses. You know, th- is, th- do you really know the difference if it's you know, uh, you know the, but you, the Valspar right. versus? But you, you know, know Phoenix, you know Maui, you know, you know Pebble, Bay Hill. Uh, you Bay Hill, obviously. There's a yeah. few that you know stand out. Right. TPC Sawgrass, right? Obviously. So, uh, real quick, just a quick plug. So, obviously, Augusta uh, hosting uh, the Masters as it does every year. Uh, the PGA's at Southern Hills in Tulsa. Um, Tigers won there. Chief Goosen's won there. Uh, U.S. Open to the Country Club at Brookline. Uh, that's the greatest game scene. You know, Francis, we met. That, the 99 Ryder Cup there with the big comeback, Justin Leonard's spot. So that's going to be fun to see. We haven't seen, uh, I don't think, uh, an Open there since the 80s. Uh, and then, of course, the 150th Open at the old course at St. Andrews. So uh, should be should be a fun year for golf. And then a President's Cup at the end of the year. So uh, excited to kick things off this Saturday on the show. All right, thanks. We'll talk to you then. Thanks. Appreciate it, guys. There's Brian Taylor from Real Golf Radio. When we come back, what is trending? All the big news coming up. Stay with us.